0: Father God, I do thank you so much that you are a powerful, majestic, and mighty God. I thank you that you can do amazing things. Father God, I just pray today that you will help me be sensitive to this topic. Uh, I pray that in every form I do not come across as being judgmental or mean. Uh, I pray that people see that what you have to say is loving. I pray ultimately that actually what is what shines out the most here is your word just be a shadow, Lord. Um, So I pray this one in your name. Amen. All right, so so basically you can see there's a a title behind me. It says gender theory, and that's the topic that I'm speaking on today. Uh, And gender theory is really, it's the idea that you can choose your own gender. Uh, That's it in a nutshell. I'll explain more as I go along. Uh, But many of you are... Dealing them with this in school, you're being tortured in school, it's blown up all over the internet. Some of you here might even be a person who is kind of questioning your own identity. Uh, some of you have even made up your mind, this is the identity that you're going to live the rest of your life on. There's a whole bunch of uh, different views and feelings in this room about this topic. Uh, some of you might even be scared to share your views on this topic. Uh, some of you don't know how to think about it. There's a whole lot of emotions going on, and, uh, and I just want to say that, I want to say welcome. <laughs> I want to say I hope this is helpful for you, uh, and I, I'm really hoping that regardless of where you stand on this topic, that you will feel loved. Uh, I don't want to chase you out of here, uh, and I'm really hoping that you will see the truth of the Bible, and that you will, even if you don't choose to accept it, that you will at least respect it, is the right word. Um, so my goal today is to kind of do two things. It's to sh- explain gender theory to you because there might still be some people who don't, you don't, I don't think all of us know the ins and outs of it and actually gender theory is changing all the time. So I'm pretty sure it's going to be a helpful thing for me to explain it. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you what the Bible says. That's really the goal. Straightforward, Right? Good. Okay. So we're going to move into uh, the first the first part, which is what is gender theory? So gender theory is, in short, it's the theory that you can express yourself how you truly feel you are. So let me give you the, the most basic example. You could be born into a male body, but you feel in your head that you identify more with being a woman. So you decide to be a woman. But you might feel that you don't want to express yourself entirely as a female, so you still work with tools in the garage and drink beer, things that in our society may be considered as manly. And in terms of who you are sexually oriented towards, well, you may feel you are more attracted to men, and you can even choose to be with a man. Now, in the past, the sex that you were born with, your your biological sex, was considered to be one with your gender. So, in other words, if you were born a male, you were a man. And if you were born a woman, you are a woman. That's what happened in the past. Very few people thought that those two things could be separated. But really really what gender theory seeks to do is it seeks to break gender away from sexual orientation to make it fluid. So you can be born a female, but that doesn't mean you have to be a woman. You can choose to be a man, but still do some female things if you want to. Gender theory says you don't have to be constrained to your, your sexual orientation you were born with. You can be whoever you want to be. So in the past, you know this, you've seen this, I'm pretty sure some of your parents still do the same thing. They buy a suit and, and it's a little bit too big. Whereas nowadays, most guys, when they get a suit, they tailor it. Do you know what I'm talking about? So, we kind of do the same thing with gender. We don't like the first suit that we get, so we tailor it to fit ourselves. That's kind of what gender theory is. It's taking your gender and it's tailoring it to you. So that when you look in the mirror, after you finally all suited up, you can be like, this is the best me. And you can be happy with what you see. And that's really the goal of gender theory. It's to look at yourself and to be happy with who you are. Now we're gonna we're gonna go through, can you change slides please, please? All right, so some of you have seen this, right? You know what this looks like. If you haven't seen it, I'm gonna explain it to you. This is called the uh, gender-bred person or the gender bread cookie, uh, and basically this was a diagram which was created uh, in order to give you a, a, a guideline to finding out what your identity is, what your gender is. So you basically look at this, you go through the whole diagram, and once you've basically gone through it, you should be able to get to the other side and go, okay, now I know who I am, All right? It's not that simple, and most gender theorists will say this is just the start, it's the guideline. Uh, they will say that gender theory is a lot more complicated than this but this is by and large 80% of what you need if you want to kind of figure out what your gender is okay so what we're going to do is we're going to look through it and uh, just piece by piece and I'm going to explain everything and then we're going to go to what the Bible says alright okay so the first point is uh, if you look on that diagram you'll see there's, there's something there that says anatomical six Another word for that is your biological sex. So in other words, when you're looking at that diagram, the first thing you need to start off when you're figuring out what your gender is, is you need to look at your whole body, your physical, physiological body, and you need to look at all the things that make up your physiological body, and then from there you determine what your sex is. Okay? So you will look at your... uh, and, And you will either come out with either being male or female or intersex. So, we'll get to what those things mean. So, you'll look at things like your chromosomes. So, in other words, you'll go through for a blood test, and your blood test will reveal whether you have XX chromosomes, which means you're a male, or XY chromosomes, which means you're a female. You'll also look at things like your voice pitch, uh, your body hair, your genitals, muscle tone, your chest, your hip shape. And what you'll do is, is you'll kind of look at all those things and you'll look, you'll see there's a scale below that. And you will kind of see where on the scale you are. So if you look there, it says uh, sex and it says anatomical sex. You're either zero in the female scale or you're 100% female or you're zero in the male scale or 100% male. Or you might look at it and go, well, I've got 80% genitalia for being a man but maybe 10% being a woman. So then you'll say you're intersex, okay? Now, let me just say this to you that um, 98.3% of people are either 100% a man or 100% a woman. Okay? Only 1.7% of people are born with physical abnormalities, uh, which means that they may, for example, have XX chromosomes, so they may be male, but they may be born with female genitalia. So, so it's very, very rare that you will look at that scale and be like, oh, I'm 80% male and 20% female. You will either be 100% male or you'll be 100% female. There's no in-between. Well, there is in-between if, if you fall between the 1.7%. So this part of the diagram is not the part where you kind of think, this is how I feel I am. This is purely just looking physiologically at yourself, looking at the evidence and going, okay, I must be this. All right? So the next thing we're going to look at is is uh, gender identity. So that is at the top your top left, my top right. Uh, this is the gender that you feel you have in your head. Okay, so your biological sex might be male, but you may feel in your head that your gender is not masculine, but more feminine. So how you de- you determine your your gender is you look at things like your personality traits. Uh, the jobs you want to do, uh, the hobbies you like, the roles you play in society, expectations from society, you take all of that and you decide your gender. So, i.e., you might be born physically a female, uh, but you prefer doing a lot more manly things. Like, you love watching sports, playing rugby, doing jobs that may be in society considered more manly, uh, like I don't know, being a, a lumberjack or like a mechanic. And what, what basically, what determines what is manly is is you look at those jobs, you look at your society, and you will say, okay, if the society says that these things are considered more manly, and I prefer to do them, then I must be then even though I'm born a woman, I must be more female in my gender. So what you'll then say is you'll say, my, I. I'm a woman. And you will classify yourself as a woman. Now, as I said, you'll look at society. So so if you're in South Africa, for example, uh, South Africa may consider, and these things change all the time, but they may consider, say, ballet to be more feminine. So if you do ballet, then you would have to put yourself more on the feminine side, whereas perhaps there's a country where ballet isn't considered feminine, but in fact more masculine. So if you lived in that country, then you would be seen as more masculine. If you enjoy things like ballet, all right. Does that make sense? By the way, if you do ballet and you're South African, I don't really necessarily think there's a decision there, but I'm using it as an example. Right, girls on the same page. Good, good. Okay. And again, what's helpful is they have a scale because you might feel that you're not completely manly, so you might, you might, as this woman, you might. Love watching the sport, playing rugby, and and working with tools. But every Tuesday, you like to dance the woman's role at a ballroom dancing class. In that case, you might make yourself 80% manness and 20% womanness. Does that make sense? Guys, good. We're all on the same page. Good, good, good. I'm glad. Okay, the next thing is we're looking at gender expression. So, this is how you express yourself. So, you might be born a male. But identify as a female, so you might be identify as a woman. So you're born a male, you identify as a woman. But you might still wish to appear in a more masculine or feminine way. I.e., if you identify as a male, you may still wish to dress more like a woman. Or style yourself in ways that are considered feminine or put on makeup. Your appearance or how you, you express yourself is considered more feminine. Once again, you have a scale and you can decide just how feminine or masculine you want to express yourself. In other words, your anatomical sex can be male, but you can choose to be a woman, yet express yourself as either a woman or a man, or a combination of the two. In fact, actually, I don't know if you've seen this, but if you if you look, quite it's quite popular now. Uh, A lot of celebrities are doing it. They're kind of dressing like the opposite sex. I'm sure you've seen that. Or they do a combination of the two. It's called androgynous. Uh, You can Google it. Uh, Which means that they neither dress male or female, but either a combination of two, or they try and dress completely the opposite of them. Like the opposite sex, all right? It's really just having fun with gender when it comes to how you dress. Okay, the last one. I know this has been a long haul part. But I wanted you to, get to understand everything, and I've actually tried to do it as quick as I can. So you may not understand everything, but that's okay. Uh, it should all make sense at the end anyway. All right. So the last thing is your attraction. So this is... You can have an attraction, and you can either be sexually attracted to someone and romantically attracted to, to that same gender, or you can be sexually attracted to one gender but you can be romantically attracted to somebody else. In other words, you might be sexually attracted to men, but you want to be in a relationship with women. And in that relationship, there really is no sex in that relationship. And in the sexual relationship, it's really just all about the physical, okay? So once again, there's a scale, and and if you look at the scale, you'll see that you you can either be attracted to females, and their sexual organs are female, so females, if their sexual organs are female, so you might, in other words, look at a person, you'd be like, I, I'm only attracted to women who are, who are biologically women. Um, or you might be attracted to people who identify as women. So you could be attracted to a man who identifies as a woman. Or you could be attracted to femininity, which means you're attracted to people who express themselves as a woman. So basically, if you look through all the other categories that we've gone through, and you find somebody who's in one of those categories, you may be attracted to them, and you can be zero or 100. Okay, so you can either be zero attracted to them or 100% attracted to them.
1: Now you could,
0: the same, now I've just looked at the, the, the top part where it's talking about zero to being female or woman, but you can also look at uh, where it's uh, sexually attracted to, to men or masculine or male people. It works the same way, all right? And what you could do is you could say, okay, so let's give an example. Say, say you're attracted to, uh, to women, which is people who who's not biological gender is female, but they've identified as women. You might go, okay, I'm sexually attracted to women, so I might be oh, maybe 80% sexually attracted to women, but I'm also kind of attracted to men. so or, or people who identify as men. So you might say maybe 30-40%, you can have it as you will. And the same works for relationship. And the reason they've split the two is because you might be sexually attracted to one person, but you don't want to be in a relationship with that person because you find that you prefer relationships with another gender. So you maybe want to marry someone from that gender, but choose to rather have sexual activity with someone from another gender. OK? So if this is all confusing to you, that's fine. It's okay to be confused. I just wanted to give you a good bird's eye view of it uh, so that you can get an idea. If you have any questions, you can always come chat to me afterwards. I've done a little bit of reading on this. Um, I'm not an expert, but I've done enough reading to know what these things are. So you can come and chat. Um, But basically, the big idea behind all of this is that you should be able to look at your gender and your identity, and you can really be as creative as you like. The whole idea is to give you as much freedom as you can to create your own identity. So now we're going to quickly look at what the Bible says. Um, And we're going to go to gender, gender, chapter one, that wasn't supposed to be a joke, Genesis chapter one, Um, and we're going to just look at one verse, Genesis chapter one, verse 27. I'll give you two seconds to quickly find it. Okay, so it says this. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So it says in verse 26, as well as actually uh, twice in, in verse 27, that God has made us in His image. In other words, three times it tells us whose image we are made in. And you can see it's not in our own. I don't know if you've noticed that. You might have read this verse tons of times before. You might not have thought of it that way, but it's in His image. So if you ever question who has the role To create an image, it's God. It's not you.
1: Let me just tell you this yet another way
0: so that I can drum it in. God says, I am making man. But He doesn't just make man and say, okay, here we go, run around, you decide your identity. He goes, no. He tells them your identity and He says, You are made in my image. What does it mean to be made in His image?
1: Now we don't know everything about
0: what it means to be made in the image of God. We know some things like, uh, we're not God. We simply reflect him, so we don't have superpowers. We can see in Genesis one that he's creative. He developed the entire world out of nothing, so we're creative. And even if you don't think you are creative, uh, well you might not be able to paint, but we all do things like we plan our day, our lives, our futures. That's being creative. We like to combine different foods together, dress with different colors, we tell stories. Uh, We decorate our bedrooms. We fantasize over what a date would be like with a certain person. We're all creative. Thirdly, he's logical. So when you read through Genesis one, you see he did things in a certain way. He created some things on day one and other things on day two. Just like he is logical, we're logical. He's moral in chapter 1 and 2 we see continually that he sees creation and he says it's good but he sees it's wrong for Adam to be alone and so he makes Eve to be with Adam we're moral just as Jesus just as God is moral we have right and wrong he's relational god is a trinity which means he's a perfect love of god the father god the son and the holy spirit there's a perfect relationship with there so we're designed to be relational we're emotional, just as He is emotional. Throughout the Bible, we see God getting angry, sad, happy, etc. This is the one you're not going to want to hear, but He works. and So we work. Why? Because we can't sit and do nothing. We want purpose. That's created in us. So just like God worked to create the world in six days, so we work. We like to have purpose. Now, all of these things we have to infer from the Bible. Which means we look at it, there's nothing directly saying, okay, you are born to be uh, creative uh, or logical or moral. We have to infer it, which means we read through the passage and we kind of see what God is like and then we go, okay, we must be like that. But the one, th- the one thing about our identity which doesn't require us to infer, we don't have to work it out. is what he tells us directly in verse 27 there in chapter 1. He says it straight. You are made male and female. In other words, we don't have to guess if we're male or female or non-binary. He tells us we are male and female. Now that term, man, if you're reading in the the verse there, chapter 1, actually refers to all of humanity. So when he says, let us make man in our image, he's referring to all of humanity. In other words, in humanity, you have males and females. It's binary. In chapter 2, you have a fleshing out of this creation of man, of humanity. And Adam is first spoken about, and God gives him masculine terms. He calls him he. So God is showing us who the male is. And when God creates Eve, Adam tells us that not only is Eve a female, but she's a woman. So what happens is Adam is put to sleep. You guys mostly know the story from from chapter 2. Adam is put to sleep by God. Who takes a root from Adam to create Eve? And when Adam wakes up and sees Eve, she's naked in front of him, he doesn't say, Ah, Eve should be called female. When he sees a genitalia, no, he calls her woman. In other words, Adam does the math. He looks at her and he says, Well, if humanity is made in male and female, I know that, and I'm the male, then that means that that's the female. But when he looks at her, he doesn't call the female, does he? He calls her woman. So right there and there, what we're seeing is we're seeing the way the world is created. That both, we're seeing that we're created in a binary fashion. There's male and there's female. And their gender is not separate from who they're born as. They're born male, and Adam's a man. God calls him a man straight from the beginning. And Eve is a female. Adam tells us that, Adam's, uh, sorry, and Eve is a female, Who's a woman. Adam tells us that. And that's the creation account. And God looks at it and he's like, that's good. God looks at humanity and that's good, that's how he wants it. There are other evidences of the fact that God actually creates things in a binary fashion. Uh, he's, when, when in the creation account, he, he separates light from dark, the sea from the land, the sky from the ground. So therefore, if he's binary like that in the way he creates the world, then surely he's binary in the way that he creates humanity. So that's the Genesis account. So how, did, how does this then, how do we equate these two? Or, or what is the Bible then, what is the Bible telling us? And, and, and let, me, let me actually say this point is what the Bible telling us, something better? Because when I said that to you, I'm pretty sure most of you, when you were hearing that, you might have felt a bit frustrated because you, you feel like the, the task of identity is being taken away from you. Well, I want to, I want to speak to you about that because actually, when you discover what the Bible has to say about your identity, it is the most freeing thing in the world. And it brings about a joy that you actually cannot completely fathom. So this is the third point in this talk, which is, gender theory may lead to the good life, but it doesn't lead to the best life. So every story of a person who decides to change their identity starts with this. They start with feeling unsettled. They look at their body, and in their mind, they don't feel everything is right. And so they begin a journey to fix that feeling of not everything's okay. Believe it or not, if you are actually feeling those feelings, the Bible actually agrees with you. In other words, everybody should look at themselves and realize that there is something wrong. See, what the Bible tells us is is in Genesis, God gave us the perfect identity, one that is guaranteed to bring us joy because he made us that way. But what happens in Genesis 3 is that humanity rebels against God. Humanity chooses to live a life without God's leadership. You remember the story, right? You guys all know it. Adam and Eve, they're in the garden. God says you may not eat of a certain tree. You can eat any other tree, but you may not eat of a certain tree. And what does humanity do? They're like, oh, we want to do things our own way. So they go and run to that one tree out of the hundreds of thousands of other trees in the world. the environment and they go to that one tree and they pick from it and God says, okay, well if you want to do things your way and lead life your own way, that's okay, I'm giving you your choice. And he does what a loving God does, is he gives you over to your freedom of choice. And so Adam and Eve choose to to run the world without God. And so God does what he's supposed to do, is he starts to take a step back. And what happens when a good God takes a step back? What's the absence of good? Evil. So thank the Lord that God does not take a full step back. But he takes just enough of a step back for us to realize what our consequences of our decision are. And so you start to get things in the world like you you get tsunamis. You get droughts. You get storms that destroy crops. You get death in the world. You get... Plants dying, which means that's why we have to work so hard in the gardens and then the farms to keep things going. So you've got to ask yourself this. If if the rest of creation has been messed up by what happened at the fall, then surely we're also messed up on the inside as well. Right? Surely there are people who are going to be uncomfortable with the gender they're born in. That's just a product of the fall. If everybody was happy with who they were on the inside, we'd probably be in Eden, where everything is perfect, but we're not. Because God let Adam and Eve do what they chose to do, and he was right to let humanity have their freedom of choice. He would be a wrong God if he didn't do anything about it. We're going to see that later. But the problem is, when you and I look at ourselves, and we look at that feel like there's something wrong with us on the inside. The problem is is that we try to fix it ourselves. And as we saw earlier, we we are not the God of identities. God is. But what we do is we say, something's wrong, and and instead of going to the Creator to fix it, what we do is we try to fix it ourselves.
1: We decide, okay,
0: I'm I'm clearly not the gender of this body, and we begin a journey of building a new identity to rectify the problem that we see inside. The identity starts with the foundation. Okay, uh, so I'm I'm clearly, I'm not a man. Who am I then? Well, okay, let me use the helpful diagram, bring up the gender-bred person. Okay, let me look, I have male genitalia, so biologically I'm a male. And I I do identify more with being a woman though, so from my gender identity, I'm kind of maybe 60% a woman. But there's still some man there, so let me say about 50% man. And on my expression, well, I I actually don't mind dressing up as a guy, but I also like to go out out some nights dressed up as a a woman. So, So I'm going to express myself as a female in that sense. And on the attraction side, well, I like men through and through, so I'm going to say that I'm both romantically and sexually attracted to men. Okay, so now that I've defined myself, this is, this is now my foundation, I'm now going to build my life upon that. So you start doing things that are typically uh, things that women like to do. So you may go, I may go to a women's gym class, uh, get my nails done, and my hair, um, but yet I still have that masculine side, so, so maybe I'll still come home and kick back with a cold beer, something that's considered manly. But then I'll, I'll hang on with my transgender gender friends, uh, heading, head to transgender nightclubs where I start to dress completely as a woman. And I, I still don't mind actually dressing like a guy, so I'll go to work. I'll dress like a man just so that people don't kind of stare at me. But, but if, they, if they do stare at me, um, well, I like dressing like a man, so it's, it's not too bad. But if they, if, they, if they stare at me and they, and they call me a man, I'm going to get frustrated because that's not my gender, I'm Soon, maybe I'll fall in love, gain a husband, and eventually I'll get married and I'll adopt kids who I'll raise gender neutral until they're old enough to decide their gender themselves. I want you to see something. What started just as a choice became a life. What started as just something small exploded into my whole reality, touching every single point of my life. Do you see that? Your gender choice is the foundation of your life, and the rest of your life is built upon that. You've looked at yourself, seen what's wrong, and you've taken to build a new identity to solve what you felt inside. The result of this is that you may find that you feel better about yourself, but you could also feel bad or worse. You could feel how you felt before, or you could feel like you have found the good life. Let me tell you one thing: you'll never experience the best life. Why? Because the life you were created to live was the one in which God creates your identity. You are a a fault filled human being who barely knows yourself. God. Is a good and perfect, almighty, glorious father. And from the start, he decided to make you into his identity. Now just think about that for a minute, right? The glorious God of the universe, who is who the heavens declare his praises. I mean, how many times have your praises ever been declared? Maybe two or three times in your life, right? You won an award, and you got you got your People clap their hands. Your dad did a speech at one of your birthdays, and everybody clapped their hands. Let me tell you, the God of this universe has the whole of creation praising him every second of every day, from the time that the world was created right until the time that it ends. He is that glorious. And you know what he said? He said, I made you in my image. Not even the angels can say that. But we have been gifted with that. And what do we decide to do? We decide, nah, I don't want your image. I'm going to build mine. Do you know what that's like? It's like buying... Okay, this is a, kind of like a joke. So you can laugh at this point. Please don't be offended if your folks drive Corsa lights. They're really good cars. Okay? But it's kind of like this. It's kind of like you saying, I've got a Corsa light, and I'm happy with it. And and you think to yourself, you have the most amazing car in the world. The most luxurious vehicle ever known. That's what you think in your head. Of course, I'm going to look at you and be like, that's a Corsa light, but... Have you seen the Rolls Royce? So what you do with your identity is you say, I'm happy with the course of light, but here God is giving you a Rolls Royce for free, and you saying, I still prefer the course of light. I'm going to play you a quick video from a guy called Beckett Cook. Beckett Cook is a man who lived a gay life, became a Christian. He wrote a book called uh, Change of Affection, and in it he shares his testimony of how his life changed. So although he doesn't speak much on the topic of gender, he speaks on identity. And so I kind of want you to just hear a portion of his testimony. Now, now the testimony is actually an hour long, okay? I had to cut it down a little bit. If you want to see the full video, what I'm going to do is I'm going to just post a link to it at some point this week. On the Lumi phone. Uh, so if you're not part of the Lumi phone, just go to our church website, go to our youth page, add your number. That's where we tell you about events and everything that's going on. But uh, but I'm also I'll I'll paste this video out for you for you to see. Uh, I'll also I'm busy recording this because some people asked. I'll also put this video up so if you want to look at it again or something like that, you can. Um, but I'll put the full video up so that you can go and watch it.
1: So tell me what it was like hearing. The gospel maybe for the first time or in a real way the first time or understanding it and tell me about becoming a christian when and how and why yeah well the, it started in paris in march of 2009 i was at fashion week i used to go to fashion weeks a lot in new york and paris and so i was at fashion week i went to a bunch of the runway shows i went to a bunch and they have after parties And I was at Stella McCartney's after party and everyone from the fashion world was there. Kanye was there. (laughs) Just It was like, and people were dancing and drinking champagne and it was at this nightclub in in the middle of Paris called Regine. And I just, that's when it really hit me that, that, I just felt overwhelmed with emptiness. Mm. And I just kind of like felt like this cannot be my life. Mm. I like this was fun. This was a great, you know, I had a great time for a long time, but this cannot be my life anymore. And I I ghosted the party, went back to my, my, the apartment I had rented. And I was kind of up all night in a panic about my future. And then I, you know, I get back to LA a couple days later And then cut to six months later, I'm with my best friend who is gay. And and we you know, we used to do the kind of we used to hang out all the time, like every almost every night and every weekend. And and on the weekends, we would go to brunch in Venice. We would go shopping in West Hollywood or Beverly Hills, which is gay church brunch and shopping. (laughs) And then we would go to this coffee shop in Silver Lake. And hang out because it was like it was kind of, you know, it was always kind of active and crowded and fun people, interesting people and friends we knew. So we were there that day and and uh, we, we were chatting and we know suddenly we, we look over and the table next to us is a group of young people with Bible, physical Bibles on the table. Yeah. <laughs> and we, I had never seen a Bible in public in wow. L.A. in my life. Yeah. So it was a it was a shocking sight, and my friend was was shocked too. We were we were both like, "What is going on? Like, this Mm -hmm. is bizarre," especially in Silver Lake, which is a very kind of progressive enclave of L.A. And so we were half repulsed and half intrigued by them. And so and why were you? Why do you think you felt some feelings of repulsion? Because it was just like because. historically for, you know, for, for us, evangelical Christians, and we just, I I assume they were just evangelical Christians. You could kind of tell. So evangelical Christians were always the enemy Mm. in, in gay culture. And so, so that was, it was kind of residual revolt. It wasn't really, I wasn't like super revolted by them, but it was just kind of that residual like, Ooh, like Christians. Mm. But then I was kind of like, wait a minute. I I don't really know what my life is about. Maybe they have some answers. Yeah. And so it's like a Christian's fantasy come true. I turn yeah. to them and I'm like, "Hey, um, are you guys Christians? And what's the gospel?" No way. By, <laughs> by that time in my life, I had I had really, I, by that time in my life, I was a practical atheist. Like I I honestly believed that the Bible was an ancient myth, like any other ancient myth. I. I I believe God was a fairy tale. I didn't I didn't believe in it. And but when I saw them, it just I just felt like you know what have I got to lose? Because because of that night in Paris six months before, I just thought you know maybe I just want to talk to them and see what they say. And so I I honestly didn't even remember like what the the what the gospel was really. I mean I kind of knew obviously vaguely, but. I just needed to hear it, so I turned to them and I just said, you know, what do you guys believe? Because I grew up Roman Catholic, I don't really remember. And they said, well, we go to an evangelical church in Hollywood on Sunset, and and you know, they told they told me basically the gospel, and this is what we believe. And and of course, I get to the sixty four thousand dollars question, and I say, what does your church in Hollywood believe about homosexuality? And they said, well, we believe it's a sin. And I, I at the, in that moment, I really. I wasn't surprised by that, by that answer. And I really appreciated how hmm. honest they were and that they didn't yeah. try to dodge the question and, you know, right. kind of obfuscate. Like I was glad that they just said it, uh, you know, just outright. And, and so in that moment I thought, okay, what if I've, what if God does exist? I mean, there's a slim chance he does exist. And what if homosexual behavior is wrong is sinful and what if i've built my entire life on a false foundation and i don't know it like that that's a possibility yeah and so so i was receptive i was open to hearing that from them whereas like a couple of years before or t- five years ten years before that i would have been like you guys are crazy mm-hmm. you need help you need therapy um yeah. but I was open to hearing that. And then they invited me to their church the following Sunday. Sun that Sunday morning I woke up and I, I just was like, I guess I'm gonna do this. And I drove to the the it meets in a high school auditorium, and the pastor comes out and he starts preaching on Romans chapter seven. And as he's preaching for an hour, just things start to shift in me. It's crazy. As he was preaching, I was Hanging on every word, and I was riveted to the sermon because I was like, "Wait a minute! Everything he's saying is true," and I don't know why I feel that way right now. What's going on? And and I just was—I didn't want him to stop preaching because I was like, "This is amazing! Like this is the gospel." This it turned everything I I believe I thought religion was on its head, and I I was like, "This is good news! This is crazy!" And all of a sudden. the holy spirit just fla- like like overwhelms me mm-hmm. and in that moment god revealed himself to me and i'll never forget i mean in my mind he said god said i'm god jesus is my son heaven is real hell is real the bible is true welcome to my kingdom yeah. and i was like <sighs> i was like god you have my whole life i'm yours i'm done and and i knew in that moment that Homosexual behavior was a sin. I knew it was wrong. I I knew it. Yeah, I knew immediately. I knew it wasn't who my identity anymore. I knew that dating guys was no longer a part of my future, but I didn't care because I just met Jesus. And I was like, "Uh, I'm going to go with that guy. Good riddance to that life. After I got saved that day, after I I came to faith and when I read the Bible, I mean, I mean, I was I was just voraciously reading the Bible. I was obsessed with it and Mm -hmm. uh, still am. But I but every word just jumped off the page and i was like whoa like this is crazy i can't believe that i'm a part of this story of redemption and and in the passages that talk about sexuality i just was like they completely rang true to me and i just knew that this is the truth this is the the
0: truth okay so so he went from going ah oh, christians to getting to this point where he was not only sold out for the Lord, but if you read, he was reading through the Bible vigorously. He was loving the Bible. His whole life flipped upside down. And when you listen to that guy's story, there's no hint of there being uh, upset or no joy anymore. All right? It's completely the other way around. And he said this, just when he was in the barge. Do you remember when he was, he was at that co- coffee shop? He was in the coffee shop, and he was just about to turn to the Christians, To ask them what the gospel was and he said this he said before that he was thinking to himself what if god is real what if homosexuality is wrong is sinful and what if i built my life on a false foundation i and i didn't know it that's a possibility so this is key to what actually led to his conversion because earlier on in his testimony he said he looked at his life and he felt empty There's a helpful parable which Jesus tells us about in Matthew 7 and Luke chapter 6. I'm not going to go there for time. And it's the story of the man who built his house on the sand and the man who built his house on a rock. So in in the story, Jesus says that there's one who built his house upon a sand and, and, and this person has a problem because the foundation of the sand, if you built your house on sand, you're going to do this. You're going to go, seems firm. But then what happens when the wind and the waves come? It crashes because although sand can seem firm when you push it, it's actually not firm. And so he then says, he then tells a story about a person who builds their house upon the rock. And he says, Can you just lock that door quickly, Annie? I just don't want people walking here. <laughs> so he says, he then says, he then tells a story about the person building the house upon a rock. And the thing about building a house upon a rock is that it is firm, it won't break. You can hit it as hard as you like and it won't break. And so when storms come and when the huge amounts of weather arises and when there's waves that crash against it, no matter what that storm does, it can't do anything because you're on a foundation that is firm. You will never waver. And the reason this parable is applicable to Beckett's story is that Beckett was looking at the foundation he was on and he's staring down at it and he sees, oh my goodness, there's actually cracks between the sand. There's holes in it. He was feeling empty, and when he saw the Christians, he thought, maybe, just maybe, I've built my life on the wrong foundation. And when he went to church and he heard the gospel, and he really listened to God's word, he found the foundation he was looking for. And that that foundation is the gospel because Jesus says in that story of of the building your house upon the rocks and the sand, he doesn't say that I'm the rock. I don't know if you've ever noticed that in the story. He said, God's word is the rock. And at the center of God's word is Jesus. But it's an important differentiation because what Beckett heard when he heard the, the, the gospel is he heard this story. And that is, before Genesis 3, you and I were made in the image of God, in His identity. But humanity rebelled against God and they lost that identity. But Jesus, being rich in mercy and abounding in grace, came to those who rebelled against him, and he died in our place. And that death on the cross meant that God could forgive humanity. And the result of that death is that God, who was stepping back, can now step back in. Because Jesus has taken and defeated that one thing that separates us from God. Beckett saw that if he trusted in Jesus, God could take a step back into his life and start making him. And here's the point. I know we're getting tired because we've been at this for a long time. But here's the point. When Jesus comes back into your life, he starts building you up into that identity that he gave you right in the very beginning. And Beckett says in in that testament, he said, when he got to the point where he realized who Jesus was after he heard the whole testimony he said Lord take my life take all of it and I find it quite funny that he's, he's like Jesus I'm going for that guy and he says I'm, I'm, I'm getting rid of that life he clearly found the man who he's more attracted to and it was Jesus and that's not a wrong thing so one final thing to say about that testimony when Beckett became a Christian after that He said, I knew homosexuality wasn't my identity anymore. I'm quoting in verbatim, by the way. Dating guys was no longer part of my future, but I didn't care because I met Jesus, and I was like, I'm going with that guy. Good riddance to that life. So what would make him say that? After he realized his foundation was on sand, he heard God's word, and he began to trust in it. And when he stood on the rock, and here's the great thing, when he stood on the rock, and he looked down, what he saw at the center of God's word is actually a person. When, when you meet Jesus, you realize something so powerful. It's something that Beckett realized. Jesus is worth so much more than anything you would give up for him. Just think about that. If you're saying that you're not willing to give up your sexuality for Jesus, you clearly don't realize just how oh, an amazing treasure you've actually found Jesus is not a book, he's a man. And before the world began, he loved you. When he realized sin was the one thing that separated him and you, he decided to come down and give you his life just so that he could have a relationship with you. Ever since you were born, he's watched you and he's seen the struggles you go through. And it may be that he even saw the struggles you had with your own gender and your own identity. And he's longed for the day when he could come into your life and start building you back into the identity that Adam had before the fall. He's longed to walk with you. He's longed to hear you cry out to him and share your fears. He's longed to love you as a father. Jesus says in Matthew 11, come to me, all who are burdened. And I will give you peace. Do you know what that peace is? It's not just the word peace. It's shalom. It means that you look at yourself and you are finally happy with who you are. And that is the peace that Jesus offers. And you might be here today and you might be like Beck looking at your life and you're not completely happy. Or you might actually be here and you might be happy. But let me tell you, you are not living the life of the Rolls Royce. You are in course of light thinking this is my Rolls Royce and I'm here to tell you there's a better car and you can have it yes I'm yelling but I'm yelling because I'm passionate alright living for Jesus doesn't mean it smiles all the time but I promise you this when you get to the end of your life and you look back and you've been a Christian for a long time you will see joy and you will be like God. Thank you for my life. This is the only way you can look in the mirror and say, "I've lived the great life, not the good life." So, how do you respond to gender theory? Well, the one thing is you can do. I just want to finish off with two quick thoughts because I know we're time and I know people are leaving. I want to say two quick things. One is, how do you respond to gender theory? Well, the first thing is you say to yourself, "Okay." I know there's limitations to my identity. I know that God has said I'm, a, I'm born in the I'm the gender that I was born with. It's not it's binary. It's not fluid. And rejoice in that. But the one thing is that God hasn't done is God hasn't limited you to your expression. So while He's made you in His identity, there is still freedom for you to express yourself. And I kind of like the fact that this gender theory thing is brought, brought into to our face and the fact that, they are, that we can actually express ourselves in different genders. So Annie, who's a woman here, could dress like a guy, and it's fine. In fact, I can tell you now, 20 years ago, the way I'm dressed like now, people would say, he's gay. I'm not gay. But I can dress like this. I can express myself like this, and it's a good thing. In fact, actually, I think just kind of saying this, I, I don't know if you noticed this, but while I was speaking, it was kind of hard for me to say that like, a, a woman might identify more as a man because she's watching rugby. The one thing that I find frustrating about this whole gender thing is that they've, made, they've given genders to, to things, like sport. Like if a boy plays with Barbies, apparently Barbie has the power to make him a girl. You know, so so the thing is, while that's happening, you need to realize that. And actually, the thing about being a Christian is that it's freeing, because now objects don't have the power to tell you what your gender is. You can actually choose. You can be a boy. Like, listen, if my daughter plays with Action Man, I'm I'm not going to be worried, because actually, I know what tells me who I gender. It's not society. It's not it's not herself. It's God. God in love has given her an identity and he's given her the Rolls Royce, not the course of light. Alright. Now if, you, if you're here today and you perhaps are struggling with a lot of these things, come and chat to me. If you have questions, come and chat to me. I'd love to hear from you. But I really hope you do see the joy and the real freedom that comes from your identity in Christ. I'm going to pray for us. Father God, I do thank you so much for uh, giving us the chance to uh, to deal with this topic. I know it's been long. And I pray, Lord, that your Spirit will work on us. And I really do pray, pray for people who are perhaps struggling with this topic, um, maybe even struggling with their own identity, that they, will, that they will come and speak up and that they will ultimately find their joy in you. I pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that. I'll see you guys next week.
1: Cheers.